Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about home brews, home brewing. Do you mean beer? Uh, I thought about that, but I heard it's a kind of expensive hobby. So let's not do that. And it kind of kill, might kill you if you do it wrong. Something about botulism. Then we shouldn't have you do that at all. <laughs> so we're talking about home brewing in RPG games. What is it? What's the definition? So there might be a bunch of definitions out there, but we should define what we're talking about, how we define it, I guess. So what's a homebrew? To me, a homebrew is either changing the rules of a game that's already published or maybe not even published. I don't know how you get those rules, but let's say there's a game that's already out there and you change them a bit, change some rules here and there, or you just totally change the rules quite a bit to where it's almost imperceptible as the original game. A lot of games, a lot of old games started like this. Probably a lot of new games are like that too. Like published games, they started as homebrews. A lot of times it's just a setting, but uh, for example, I believe Eberron was a homebrew setting. Before it was a published setting. Yeah, the guy who did it, uh, I think it's Keith Baker. Keith Baker? I think it's Keith Baker. He uh, entered a contest that Watsy put out. And it's the only contest they've ever had that way where they said, we want to publish somebody else's setting. Uh, we're going to publish the setting if we win. And he won. And they published his books for for 3.0. After it's published, I guess it's not a homebrew anymore. Yeah, I guess it ceases to be a homebrew when you get If it's published. a setting, it's a different, different than uh, changing the rules in a game, right? That's true because D and D theoretically doesn't have a set setting, so Eberron, I guess, is not a. Though they they did have like slight rule changes in three point five for for characters, so there was a little bit of a homebrew type thing. But it was published, so I guess it's not homebrew anymore. So I I we played in games that were homebrews at least in conventions. I have uh, people had changed the rules a little bit. Uh, we also talked about. When homebrew is no longer a homebrew, it's more a your own a, own completely different game. I would say that changing a rule here and there makes sense, right? Like, if nobody at your table wants to roll for something, then that's okay. You could change that one. Unless it's integral to the game, then you may not want to. But if you're going to change the whole game, why are you playing that system? Yeah, that's true. There's some sometimes it's so it, they change the rules so much that it it does make you think. Well, why are they playing this game when there might be another game that might fit the bill better? But I think a lot of people do that because they like the game that they're like, and I'm using air quotes. They like the game that they're playing or they're running, and they think they can they tinker with it and just to give it the the things that they think it would make the game better. And so I, I'm going to throw out some examples of homebrewing. So to me, homebrewing, there's different levels of homebrewing, right? There's like slight changes and that doesn't really impact the the rules so much. So a lot of people who like knowing the rules of a game before they play, then then they may not mind this homebrew. As right? long as you tell them which rules you've changed. Well, there's that, true. and uh, And that's like usually... So changes to the rules, adding a die here, or maybe adding a class, like let's say like D&D. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, 
I'd consider homebrew, but they call them something else on uh, on Drive Through RPG. So there's different classes in D and D, but you could make up your own class, and some people have, and they try to publish or they do publish them on Drive Through RPG, which is a a PDF store for RPGs, obviously, and uh, and with the open oh the open uh, open license opal 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 open gaming license and a lot of people will do that though the easiest way to do uh, some sort of publishing is to publish something for D&D and the easiest thing to do for D&D is publish a character class something that you made up okay well the boys play fast and loose with character classes don't they because they try to to mini max each one into whatever they really want to do like they want to be a monk but they also want to be something else, so they they split the class or something. They multi-class. They multi-class, yes. So I could see making your own class if you're... But I don't know. It seems easier to me to just use the classes that are given to you. Well, that's what it is. is sometimes it's a class that appeals to you or doesn't exist, and somebody else thinks up of and does all the homework. It's a lot of work to do something like that. And so when you have a place like RPG, I drive through RPG or even uh, the Dungeons Guild or D&D Guild, DMs Guild, it's a PDF store, obviously. When it's, and so there's a lot of people making character classes. And if you just browse that part of the, of the section of the, their website, and there are a ton of people making character classes and something might appear to you that, that you hadn't thought of, but you would like to play. Or that aren't in the rules, like a pure martial artist with no, uh, what is it? No magical abilities, like a harking back to the AD and D version of the monk. Okay. Or even more different or new would be the the monk that has all these super magical powers, like Street Fighter Two guy. I'm playing with my uh, my audio interface. So talking about monks, we were talking. I was talking about monks. And so you can you can use you can homebrew a little bit like that where you just add a class, but a lot of times people say now I have never encountered this because I've never tried adding rules to a game because I think a lot of games already have too many rules, and D and D even D and D there is a uh, a lot of rules to that game even fifth edition, but I think it wasn't I wasn't thinking about fifth edition I was probably in Pathfinder when they came out with a lot of rule additions you know a lot of different types of, uh, what do you call it, different types of classes. In fact, they came out with a lot of books that had a lot of different classes. I believe it was like the alchemist, the gunfighter, and stuff like that, which uh, I remember a lot of people didn't like. Well, Augustine and Alan still get excited when D&D 5th Edition comes out with a new book. What was the latest one? It was Tasha's, was it Tasha? Tasha's something cauldron. Yes, and they were like, oh, I want that book. And yeah, they both they got were... it and they read through it. Yes, now I don't know if they got gained, did they get anything out of not getting. There was something. It. There was a special class or something in oh, there, okay. or a special thing in there. I know. I know they were excited about certain books. I forget which one, but like the one that had a lot of the races, like the cat cat people. Yeah, the cat people, the other people. And they like to figure out what it will do for them if they use that class. Yeah, the benefits. Yeah. yeah cost benefit analysis yes <laughs> so that's you know that's pretty basic stuff i think uh we're talking about levels of homebrewing so that's that's minor you know a lot of times when people say this they'll say that's that's game breaking 
Well, I don't think adding classes is game breaking because you're not really changing the rules, right? You're just adding a class. Right. But sometimes they consider some classes broken as in that they... They're too powerful. Yes. Right. And I forget which character class was like that. I think uh, I'm, I'm going back to Pathfinder when Augustine was playing the summoner and he had that idol on. That was pretty cool. Yeah, he was a killing machine, that thing. Yeah, like two mouths. Three and, heads. Or three heads. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. And uh, But I don't think that was game-breaking. Well, I don't know about game-breaking, but they said that a lot of people in the... I mean, by a lot of people, I mean a lot of people who I read on social media or on blogs and stuff like that, they said that it was really powerful, almost almost game-breaking compared to other characters. Or like a broken character class because it was so powerful when it got to the higher levels because you know, and it was and I I don't know if it was right or wrong but I I will attest that it was a very powerful class. Well, yes. then the game master just needs to make sure that he figures out a way to disable it, right, <laughs> or kill it. There's also like when you you change rules. That's that's a big deal in in home brewing, and I can't from, from all of a sudden on the top of my head I can't think of anything that is rules where uh rules that will change i guess uh for example a rule a small rule change is like the one ring that we just you just play the one ring first time and in that game you roll in that game you always roll a d12 which gives you a number between one and ten and then the the 11 and the 12 are special dice or special uh facings or characters but they started using the idea from D&D called advantage and disadvantage. In the one ring, you only roll the one die, the D12. Uh, but they have started to, somebody had the idea to use the idea from roll, roll 20, from the fifth edition, where just to tweak a little bit, you add the idea of advantage and disadvantage, where you roll two D12s, and if, it's, if, and if you're at advantage, then you get the positive number that's higher and if you're disadvantaged you get the lower number that the lower number the lower number and i don't know where it came from because all of a sudden when we were playing the one ring before i never did that and all of a sudden i think they incorporated that into the game and either i wasn't paying attention when when it was announced but but they started doing it and i was like wow that's interesting and like i said i don't i'm not a number cruncher so i don't really know how much impact that's going to have in the game as far as percentages and what do you call it? Statistics and chances of succeeding or not succeeding based on the, on the rule changes like that. So I don't know, but I know in D and D it does make quite a bit of difference. Does it? I haven't really noticed that. Yeah, I guess you're, maybe, you maybe, just I don't get know. two dice. And if you have advantage, you get to take the higher one. That's all. Or disadvantage, you take the lower one. So right. it's something that's really simple, really simple. But I know that other games have started taking that kind of. They took that rule, and have incorporated into their rules system, which I think uh, is kind of interesting about that because I think it's it's a, a mechanic that really is really simple. And I think they were do, trying to do away with all these plus and minuses that you would do in in like Pathfinder or third edition. Oh, I get plus five because uh, I'm on higher ground. I get plus five because on a mount. 
And but some get, people really like that. Yes, that's true. So they cut all those nice little numbers out, and they just go, "Well, you get advantage you or get disadvantage." Advantage. Oh, you're just you're below the person to hire. You're a disadvantage. Stuff like that. It's much easier. So next is uh, what was it? My next level of homebrew, and then there's major changes that you don't even recognize the original game. So this is, I would say, you're going away from homebrew and going into your own completely new game. Uh, I think a game that we played recently that was published, obviously, is uh, Liminal, right? Uh, I, I, I said that it kind of reminded me of Traveler. And it uses the, the, the only thing similar to Traveler is the 2D6 task resolution mechanic. Other than that, I, does it, it doesn't remind you of Traveler at right. all. Does it remind you of Traveler at all? No. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's funny because that mechanic has been around since 1977, I think it was when it was first published. Traveler. And I hate, I told you my I hated Traveler when I was younger. And uh, I don't know why I and had. And you really, really like Liminal. Yeah, that's, that's, I got to wonder what, where my hate comes from, where it was the, not the hate, but I really didn't like it. And I got to wonder if it was from the. It's probably from the person running it. Yeah, but I like the person running it. So I don't know what, why I would dislike it so much. Mainly because I guess the game that he was running was more. What is it? Uh, it was more like Firefly when I wanted something more like Star Wars. Yeah. So I and I gave it in my idea of disliking it was because I thought it was the rules and not the the setting that we were playing in. And that's it. I think that's what it was. And so I think now I we played it more recently, just Traveler with, and I didn't think it was in terrible rules. I mean, that I, I had a terrible character, but. But that's Traveler. <laughs> I mean, I had a character that basically sucked. Yeah. But that's Traveler. That's not, that's not a, whose fault. I don't know whose fault it is. Homebrew. So at one point, at one point you shouldn't say, Oh, this is my D and D homebrew game. If like you did away with character classes, this is why when we go to conventions and I'm looking at the role playing games, stay away from homebrew. anything that says homebrew, I just skip over it because I don't know if it's gonna be that they don't want to use advantage in anything, right. or if it's gonna be a completely different game that I'm not gonna recognize. So, if it says homebrew, Jolene walks away because I don't want to deal with it. Well, I think. Well, depending on the convention, a lot of conventions now, they on the the blurb that they put in the program, it'll say, it'll ask for changes, right? Or what do they call them? They want you to know exactly what the homebrew is. Well, they they give you space to put what changes you made, right? Uh, what additions or subtractions or whatever. And some people put, some people are nice and say, well, I only change this part or I don't use this. Or a lot of them say, well, no no paladins and barbarians, right? Or whatever for their game. And other ones, they list, oh, I did away with this, I did it with that, and that's... But sometimes they just say, oh, it's a D&D homebrew, 5th edition. And they're like, hmm. And that's what Jolene says, oh, I want to make sure I don't sit on a game I don't want to play in. I've mentioned this story before, but there was that homebrew, I don't know if it was Pathfinder or D&D 5th edition that Steve and Ian went to. It was at a local convention, and they show up and the guy, one, he's stoned out of his gourd, right? And he doesn't have an adventure, really. And he doesn't have pre-made characters for his homebrew. So they're there spending hours, I think, making character and then uh, 
They didn't get anywhere, really. I don't think they really started the game. Ian stayed there the whole time, though. Yeah. Because he didn't want to get up and leave. Yeah, because it was only him and Steve. Now, see, if that would have been me, yes, we would have left. Mr. Stoneman, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that uh, I'm leaving on a jet plane. Yeah, so I think uh, you should be truthful as to how much homebrewing is, is, is there. Now, do what I consider liminal a homebrew? No. No, it's a totally different game. Who just borrowed the mechanic of 2D6, which is not a big deal, right? I think uh, because... In, I'm not sure that borrowed is the correct word. He used the mechanic. It was like a template, yeah. And I think uh, they, supposedly according to what I've read and, and stuff like that, is that you cannot copyright... Uh, dice? Dice mechanics or rules. Hence why I think... Well, I don't know. Hence why a lot of a lot of uh, well anyway it doesn't matter but uh, suppose you cannot copyright like a dice mechanic people can be really uh, skirt the rules and, and or not skirt the rules but they can change the rules and stuff like that or change the setting and still be able to publish stuff like the, the open 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 gaming license really you don't need open gaming license to be able to uh, what is it uh, publish something that uses 3d6 mechanic right or the D, d20 like rolling using the the d20 the d20 to solve uh, uh combat and stuff like that or skill-based stuff but what the ogl did do is says okay we're you know we're not going to sue you which what usually happens is like like watsi uh watsi is the wizards of the coast and uh what happens is if you were if they didn't have the open gl and you were putting out a product that kind of like kind of mimics D and D, but says nothing of D and D, right? They changed. There's no, uh, they changed the names of the characteristics. Everything's different except the fact that they're using the D20 to figure out the skill resolution and the combat resolution system. Watsi could not sue them. They could, well, that's the thing. They could sue them and they would lose, right? Because, but the problem is a lot of people can't afford to be sued by, by a, a big company because they have to pay a lawyer to help them. They'll win, but it's going to cost them money. So with the OpenGL, they said, don't worry about that. As long as you adhere to these rules, bada bing, bada boom, you can write anything about, you can make any kind of supplement to D&D or, or whatever game that they has an OpenGL. And it, you're totally safe from being sued. So I think that's that's a completely different subject. But yes. but I don't think that using 2D6 is a, could be considered a copyright to anybody. Monopoly uses 2D6. I mean, come on. You're right. And the courts, the Supreme Court has ruled that that, that does not, that you cannot copyright or somebody decided, not on the Supreme Court, but somebody decided, some court system decided that you cannot copyright uh, dice mechanics, rules in that sense. So yeah, you are correct. But But you're right. Another thing is that, sure... Because uh, Yahtzee could have uh, could have sued all the the gamers for using D sixes. <laughs> I guess that would be Bilted Bradley, but yeah, I don't know. But uh, we don't want to talk about lawsuits. But we, but what I do want to talk about is homebrews and like for example, Liminal, which is uses two D six, is really different from to travel two D six. Liminal just once again is not a homebrew. No, it is not a homebrew, but 
but it it could be considered a homebrew. Like let's let's say let's say uh, Paul Mitchner. No, had, you really couldn't. No, no. Let's say Paul Mitchner before he published it and put it in a book. So let's say he's had this idea for ten years and he went to uh, a uh, a convention in England and said, "Yeah, I'm running this game." I don't know what do you call it. Well, I call it liminal, right? And that doesn't mean anything to people. And they're like, "Well, what? What's your?" You might, as a selling point, or let's say he's talking to somebody, and somebody goes, "Well, what's the skill resolution system?" He says, "Oh, you use two d six to 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 achieve a t- target number." Oh, like traveler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now it's not like traveler in any sense because it's a modern urban fantasy game uh, that considered rules light. And and I, we talked about it on the previous podcast, and it's just it opened my it actually opened my eyes to Traveler. I'm like, wow, maybe maybe I had Traveler all wrong because this is a really good game, and this is really fun, and I really like making a character for Liminal. Then we played Traveler. I'm like, now nah, now nah, this is why I hated Traveler because <laughs> your, your character may or may not make it out of making the character. <laughs> well, I did. Well, I think the t- you rolled your character died, right? And then no, my character didn't die, right? Because but- Phil said your character's not going to die. Right. I wish my character would have died. Uh, yeah, and you had a good character. <laughs> no, I didn't. My character. No, I had a horrible character. I had oh. like two skills. That's right, because you got you you got killed early. <laughs> well, now now I think that's it, right? So the whole the difference was that Paul Mitchell made a very good character creation system he he added all kinds of ideas about traits to make your character more individual and be more uh special and i think that's what traveler lacks is that your characters are not special you're just one in the trillion one of the trillions and trillions of people in the galaxy and uh you're basically you're not luke skywalker you're one of those people he met in a cantina on the way in, and that's it. That's who you are in Traveler. A waiter, maybe, if there is such a thing in, in Star Wars. And so that's what I don't don't like about I didn't like about Traveler. And I know a lot of people love Traveler and they love the character creation system and they then they go, Oh, I wonder and it's like this nostalgia idea that, oh, I loved when the when the character died or in in character creation. You didn't get to play the character. Oh my god, it's terrible. But anyway, so but I would still consider Liminal like a, a distant, distant, distant relative to Traveler in a sense because of the 2D6 mechanic. But everything else, you're right. It's it's not a home route. It's a totally different game. But but maybe in the early stages, it might be considered homebrew. I don't know. You're, you're just... I'm reaching? Yes. So, okay. So, if you don't buy that, that's fine. So, but there are homebrews that are completely just your own rules. It's not even a home. That's that's. I don't know if that's really a homebrew system. I mean, that's it, it. Really, is it's something you designed? And I've seen that at conventions too, where people put homebrew uh, prior to publication, something like that. I don't even know what that means. Well, th- it's a game that they're planning on hopefully publishing soon. And oh, you said prior publication. Prior to publication, before oh, they publish. Okay. Now you're right. Another thing is you, you did mention this is that when you when you do a homebrew, whether it's at a convention or at home, that you should tell the players what exactly has been homebrewed, right? Because that's important. I play with a lot of guys that like the rules as written. Yeah, I noticed that. I and, was wondering about that myself. 
and the thing is with people like that there's nothing wrong with it because especially like i've discovered that some of the gms that i play with they really like to do the rules as written to see how it's going to play out because you want to know and i'm talking about morgan bay shannon you know the rules are written this way Mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that like when you get to a combat scene especially if it's a new game then they want to make sure how the mechanics work which is very interesting to me because you know I'm used, I've been used to playing with the boys when they were growing up and they just wanted to get to the combat scene, kill the monster and move on. <laughs> right. <laughs> where, yeah. the, where in even the Friday night group, the guys that you've been playing with for years want to stop and go over. Now, is this the way that it really works and figure it out? Right. Cause that's so that to me, it gave me a new perspective on rules as written. Cause I always thought that it was just, they want to make sure that, they're getting the advantages of the rules the way they're written so that the GM can't kill them right then. Yeah, yeah. We had that discussion about uh, what is it, the GM being an adversarial GM. <coughs> and and I think you're right. I'm kind of surprised and how, how much of all, of maybe it's just the people that are my friends that I, that are my friends, right? People who are my friends who who think like that but i i've gone away from that idea of rules as written right i'm like i don't care I just if it works it works i rather just go with the flow try to get the game keep like the momentum keep the momentum moving in the game and not have to stop oh hold on let me look this up especially when it's like inconsequential and i'm surprised especially from certain people Morgan for one, and even Felipe—not Felipe so much, but like I think uh, Mike uh, and uh, Phil—they want to bust in and see if that's the rule as they interpret it, or if they can interpret it, or if they interpret it that way. Well, and sometimes like, it's—it's it's not necessarily that they stop the game though to lose the momentum. Morgan will always keep the game going, and he'll look it up later and tell you. That's true. No, you're right, but there's other people who like, well, let's let, and then we dig into the, like the whole deal with the, I forget what it was. It, it was Traveler, Traveler yes. and it was some rule, and Felipe walked away from the microphone because we were on Zoom, and Philip and Michael go, okay, this is the way we play, and so goes, that's not the way we we did it, and then Felipe came back to the microphone a few minutes later and goes, no, they told him what, what, what they were talking about, he's <laughs> all, no, that's not the way that we play it. <laughs> he wasn't even running the game, which I thought was hilarious. Which was, but it was because Felipe is all, no, we decided this rule 30 years ago, maybe 40. I have no idea. And- I don't have recollection of that rule being made, but hey, you know, I'm not going to argue because I could care less. About it was, that. but it was, it was an interesting conversation for me because I was really tired and, and they were going on about this yeah. rule, which they decided it one way and I had heard Felipe say to do it the other way. So. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And then after searching online and they, those two rule, those two ver, those two versions of that rule uh, definition were in somebody's blog. And said, it was the original argument. And then, and then they said, "Well, it, we can't find a definitive way, a definitive answer to this question, so you can play it either way you want." <laughs> so Felipe was right, even without even without the the benefit of the World Wide Web. They decided that, yes. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. But I, I'm, like I said, I'm still amazed at how much people want to know what the rule is 
and sh- and I I'm I am the type of person. Well, look, if I get it wrong, and you come look it up after the game and tell me I got it wrong, and then we'll go from there, and then that's it. I, and I know people like they they want to experience the rule game as it is written to see if they if it's a good game. And I'm like, well, if I like the setting, I like the idea, I like most things about the rules, and if they get something that kind of irks me, I just ignore it. I, that might be homebrewing, though, huh? I don't know. Ho- ignoring rules? That's my homebrew. I ignore rules. <laughs> and that's to certain people that irks them, right? Because I'm like, I'm, I've become very loosey goosey, right? With with idea with rules of the game. You know, I'm I'm past fifty fifty years old. Uh, I used to love super crunchy games, and I think, like I've said in the past, I have no, I probably have no problem playing in a super crunchy game, but I don't want to run a super crunchy game because my brain just can't handle all that stuff anymore. That's not true. <laughs> well, how about this? I don't want to handle that stuff anymore. This is a, this is a difference, and and the, that granular type of uh, of combat and stuff like that. I don't know. I heard you playing Shadowrun the other night with uh, with Jim and. You were like all over. This is the way you do it. This is what it means. And I was like going, wow, when you were the GM, you weren't like that. Well, well, I haven't run Shadowrun in a while. And I've been reading and I ran Shadowrun and I played Shadowrun and I read Shadowrun and I read Shadowrun. So fifth edition, by the way, not sixth edition. I'm not even going to buy those books. I don't care how people, much people say it's a great game. Or not a great game. It doesn't matter. So fifth edition, I'm you know I am uh, what do you call it? I'm all in on fifth edition Shadowrun, and I have a whole bunch of books sitting on my shelves of fifth edition. So changing now would be kind of fruitless in my my uh, eyes. Uh, if anything, I would I was looking at different systems to play Shadow like Run game. So I actually got a couple of Kickstarters of fifth edition. Even though I you know I was kind of not getting away from fifth edition, but but I did get a couple fifth edition uh, cyberpunk Shadowrun type of games. Uh, I only got one book so far; the other one hasn't arrived. So, a lot of games like fifth edition games now they're kind of homebrewish, right? There's like I was just telling you about the uh, a cyberpunk uh, Shadowrun type of game for fifth edition. Now, fifth edition Watsy has not come up with an official Watsy fifth edition. Shadowrun game, Shadowrun setting like game or cyberpunk game. So other companies have done it. So this is this is one Kickstarter I got was Low Life Twenty Ninety, which uses the low fantasy uh, rules put out by some I forget the game the people who made the game, but uh, but they put out a game called Low Life Twenty Ninety where you play like a cyberpunk and it's fantasy. Uh, there's magic involved and it is based on fifth edition so it's a pretty big book it's really nice and uh, i only started reading it a little bit and but it's much easier dive into into shadowrun like game than let's say shadowrun fifth edition where everybody kind of knows D&D, the fifth edition they know the game mechanic and it's super simple compared to shadowrun where Shadowrun has like a different rule system for every different part of the game. Like for example, sorcery, right? That's a pretty that's its own little system. And then there's combat, which is its own little system, and there's hacking, which is its own little system. 
Now hacking uh, the stuff like that are, and uh, magic are kind of the same with the whole fade and and uh, what is it when you uh, get exhausted and stuff. So that was my rant on the, the complex games. But but for example, I've looked at Shadowrun. I'm like, man, I really want to have a Shadowrun game without all these rules. And I was thinking, how can I homebrew this so I don't have to deal with all these rules? But it's so ingrained in the system, I would have to do like a massive rewrite of the rules to, or changing of the rules of Shadowrun to... That's when you use like, your players who like the rules as written, right. who've learned all the rules as written, yes. and then you go go from there. Correct. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that you could do by tinkering with the rules and homebrewing. I use that in, in their quotes. And it's up to you as as a player if you see this this homebrew written uh, in the catalog or the the program the program for the convention. Uh, Jolene will be immediately be not want to play, but you know you might want to take a chance. And some people, some of these people have really good ideas, and it's really interesting. Uh, I think I've accidentally played in a couple homebrews, uh, and it turned out pretty good. Uh, there was no like, oh my god, this sucks because you changed this rule. Uh, as long as you're kind of open about it. And uh, as long as you tell the players that you're changing these rules, because I remember I did do that once to to uh, Ian. It was Pathfinder, or might have been Fifth Edition. No, I think it was Pathfinder. He had made a character to make potions. That so that was that was what he wanted to do to make stuff or make magical items. And I was trying to impose uh, a game world that didn't have a lot of magical items. Like you couldn't just go to a store and buy magic items. You had to order magical items, right? Because that's like, it's like, uh, what do you call it? He wasn't happy about that. Oh, no, of course not. Because his whole character revolved around doing that. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not going to let you make it. And then, he, you know, he was younger, much younger. And he got a little bit upset. And Steve got a little upset. And he goes, well, you built his whole character around it. I go, okay, I'm sorry. He can make, he can make another character. and and But he was obviously had been invested quite a bit of time in his character. So, so that was my bad. I made a mistake. I should have looked at his character. I should have said, hey, what is the point of you? Why are you taking this skill or this feat? I think it was a feat. And I'm like, no, no. I think it was Pathfinder too, which is you know, why I probably didn't catch it since I only read that book five times. I should have read 10. Pathfinder book. Anyway. All right. So uh, homebrew, not to homebrew. I think the most important thing is to tell your players, what you're changing in the in the game to see if that's acceptable to them. There you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day. <laughs>